You're listening to the Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. Welcome to the Crosscheck NHL Show. We have a very special show for you today. We have a guest host with us. It is Laura Saba from Locked On Canadians again. Mary Clark remains on vacation until next week. The title sponsor of the show today is Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. I'm Andrew Berkshire, uh, NHL analyst for the Montreal Gazette. I'm with Laura Saba, as I mentioned, at the Active Stick on Twitter. I'm Andrew Berkshire on Twitter. Make sure you follow us and subscribe to the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the Canadians being one win away from the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 1993. We've also got Jesse Granger from The Athletic covering the Vegas Golden Knights. He's going to join us for a long interview. And then at the end of the podcast, we're going to do our pop culture roulette segment. But first up, Laura, how are you doing? You feeling pretty good after the win? I am, actually. It's a very interesting time in Montreal because this was not something anybody expected And throughout the entire season, we had so many reasons to criticize and lose hope. And yet here we are, one win away from the Stanley Cup final. And we're all eating crow. (laughs) We're all, but we're enjoying it. And that's the thing. I think Luke Richardson himself said that, you know, the Canadians can't get ahead of themselves. They need to understand what it took to get here and what they still need ahead of them. And to a man, they're all saying, we haven't won anything yet. We haven't won anything yet. They all understand what the task is. But I think from a fan perspective here in this city, I think that we should enjoy as much of this as possible because, you know, even good teams won't even make the third round or the Stanley Cup final. And in this case, this is a surprise run. We need to milk every drop of enjoyment out of it, especially after the year we've had. And speaking of milking every drop, I think we need to talk about the fact that this one win away from the Stanley Cup final, the furthest the Canadians have been in the playoffs since 1993 coincided with the 400th episode of locked on Canadians. So congratulations for 400 episodes of the show <laughs> with our good buddy, scoot Maddle, Scott Maddle. And uh, I'm just, so I'm just so much. happy for you guys. Thank you so much. It's, it's honestly, it's fun when it's like this. It's fun when the Canadians are winning. It's fun when the listeners are excited about the show. It's it, it, sometimes, you know, the good shows are the ones where something egregiously bad happened and we had to rant about it and, and listeners needed catharsis or something enjoyable is happening and the listeners want to come along for the ride. And we've got honestly some great listeners. I'm so happy with the kind of support that we've had overall, including from friends like yourself. Uh, I, I know you were one of, one of the guests that we've had on as well. <laughs> and, and we just love talking to you and hearing from you, but. I'm just so grateful for what the Canadians have been able to do because it's made this not a grind. We're exhausted. We're extremely tired. We've been, you know, we were expecting at this point in the off season to be coming up with topics like which Loki character are the Canadians or something like that, you know, <laughs> or, or talking about firings and, and talking about new coaching staff and all of that. And yet here we are one win away from the Stanley cup. And I just, I'm so grateful to everybody who's listened. One win, of the way, one win away from the Stanley Cup final, I should Getting say. I don't want to get ahead of myself, and now you have to hear me knocking on wood because I don't want to be the one that jinxed the Canadians. But I just, I cannot be happy. I cannot say enough about the support that we've had and our listenership. It, it's really great to see good people get rewarded, and that's, I'm, I'm just so happy for you guys. But we should probably talk about the hockey as well and not to be too self-indulgent about our own projects, right? <laughs> So I, I think <laughs> the main takeaway from that game 
is probably the kids got it done. Yes, absolutely. They're playing like veterans. And we talked about this on our show is that this is their first or second or third at the latest, you know, uh, year in the NHL. And imagine that this long playoff run with all of this adversity, this, uh, you know, with difficult players they're playing against after a rough up and down season. Imagine this is their first uh, playoff experience or their second playoff experience. And just imagine that these players, not only have they not entered their prime yet, but Cole Caulfield's rookie season is actually next season. Yeah, <laughs> so he's pulling the Ken Dryden. It, it, that's exactly it. And the way that they're playing so calmly, so composed, so confident, that's not something that rookies do. And I think, you know, you do, the coaching staff likes to credit the veterans in the room. I think that they, the, the, the young players do deserve a little bit of credit as well. This is, this is something where this task that's ahead of them is not easy. Uh, and the situations that they've been asked to, to take on their backs, they're being relied upon, especially for, for the offense in, in, in all of their playoff series. These are not easy situations and they are really showing their talent, but they're also showing their work ethic. They're showing their understanding of hockey. They're showing how well they think the game. And I just, I, as, as a Canadian fan, you can't help but be excited. And as somebody who's, you know, for, you know, your job is to analyze hockey night in and night out. I'm sure that what you're observing is stuff that you see from veteran players or players that are fully in their prime and have been around much longer. Yeah. I mean, outside of the kids getting it done, obviously Carey Price has been such a huge factor. Uh, he just, he's not giving them anything, right? Like in terms of uh, not that he's not letting any weak goals he has, but those high-end scoring chances that the Golden Knights do accumulate, they're not getting rebounds out of them. You know, like Price just swallows pucks and it's incredible to watch him play like he's 27 again instead of 34 <laughs> or going to be 34 this summer. Or I think his birthday is in October. Anyway, doesn't it's matter. August. I know. Yeah. <laughs> he's a Leo. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Just That's ask why Marissa you know. <laughs> and Jemmy about this. <laughs> She'll Don't know. get this wrong. She'll what, know. Yeah. What it's, phase it's the was Leo the moon energy. in on his birthday? <laughs> but uh, yeah. So like Price has been playing like a younger player. Obviously the playoffs the last two years now, he's shown that when he needs to bring it, he can still be everything that they expect him to be that $10 million goaltender. But you know, the, the kids have been such a huge part of this, you know, Kokaniemi, showing up in the playoffs every single year. Nick Suzuki, to me, is the reincarnation. I know he's not dead. I know he's not dead. Knock on wood again. But the reincarnation of Saka Koivu, the player. Uh, <laughs> he is just He has such similarity to him, his skating stride, the way that he shakes players, his deking. Like, obviously, the game has changed towards a more skilled uh, way of puck handling now than it was in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, like, he's got more moves than Koivu had. But he just reminds me so much of him. The dedication at both ends of the ice, just the way he puts the team on his back at some points. And Caulfield is just like electricity in a bottle. You know, he's just incredible. You, it looks like nothing's going to happen. And then all of a sudden he smacks the, the puck off somebody's stick out into empty space. And he's the only one who can get there. His tiny little legs pumping like crazy. <laughs> you know, and I just, I have so much respect for those guys. And then the one that stands out to me, maybe even more than them, is Corey Perry. You know, and I know that you're the last holdout, Laura, that you, you can't like Corey <laughs> Perry, but I have got so much respect for him after watching him all season this year. I, the Like Corey Perry to me now, if I can sum him up in one play was the first goal against Winnipeg Jets in that series 
where he knew exactly what he was doing and he skated face first into Logan Stanley's elbow to set up a play for Eric Stahl to score a goal. He set the tone for that series and in many ways set the tone for this series by getting high sticked in the face. <laughs> That's it's honestly, I can't believe we're sitting here and we're talking about Corey Perry contributing positively to young players lives as opposed yeah. to elbowing people in the head. And the story has not been Corey Perry suspended for the rest of the playoffs. It's been Corey Perry, a major factor in these playoffs. He's really shown uh, that he's committed to whether it's the team or whether it's winning again. It seems like a, a bit of both. He seems to enjoy playing with this team a lot. And that, you know, we saw that, on, I think it was game three when he was high sticked in the face and he went and got five or six stitches. And by that time, the overtime had ended and the Canadians had won. And he ran back out in like mid stitch to congratulate the rest of his team. He's really embodying that hockey cliche of a team mentality and really doing it for each other and playing for each other. And while, you know, skill is really important, strategy is really important, coaching is really important, that cohesiveness, that unit, is really important. You look at the players, there's so many diverse. There's young and skilled. There's older, slower. There's old school defensemen. There's, uh, you know, forward thinking, offensive, uh, offensive minded players. For example, Nick Suzuki's one of them. Cole Caulfield, obviously, with being so tiny and so successful, you know, they're pushing the envelope. And so to have all of that combination of personalities and playing styles come together in a way that it's working out, I feel like Corey Perry's kind of embodying that. And I'm just, the fact that we talk so much about uh, Philippe Dano sacrificing his offensive game to become a defensive player and make the Canadians successful, Corey Perry is sacrificing his agitating, and he's literally playing good offensive hockey. And that's something, it's not that he's not an agitator at all, he's still getting in people's faces, and he probably really annoyed the Winnipeg Jets, but, you know, when it comes to the Vegas Golden Knights, it's a good team, they're a very, very good team, their defensemen are stellar. So it's time to put all of that aside and really put in the work. And, you know, his his line is being rewarded or on the power play, Cole Caulfield was rewarded from from a chance that he created. And I just, I can't say enough about how important he has been to this team. Yeah, he's been incredible. And I'm glad that you brought up, brought up the lack of agitating or like sacrificing some of the agitating for becoming, you know, this offensive force, essentially. Uh because I'm looking at Corey Perry's game logs right now, and I saw he only has seven penalty minutes in these playoffs. His only minor penalty came in game three versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's been a <laughs> long time since Corey Perry was penalized. And, you know, maybe that means he's due. But to me, he's been drawing more penalties than anything and not through diving or, or you know, agitating people, but by getting high sticked or, or hooked or tripped because he's driving offense. And, I think what makes me so impressed about Corey Perry in this playoffs is like people forget that he went all the way to the Stanley cup final last year as well as a member of the Dallas stars. And we talked endlessly in hockey media about how important he was to the Dallas stars, making it to that final. He scored important goals. I think he had a couple of overtime goals. Uh, he scored five goals in 27 games along with four assists. So nine points in 27 games. He also racked up 27 penalty minutes. This year in 16 games, he's already got three goals, six assists for nine points to tie his production and only seven penalty minutes. One of them being a fight against Nick Foligno that he had no interest in whatsoever and did out of a stupid hockey code loyalty thing. I can't believe that this is the Corey Perry that we're seeing right now. Like it's just, he's, 
he should be exhausted beyond all belief, right? Because it's not like these playoffs happened last year at this time. They happened in like September. Like this is a guy who didn't get an off season. He's 36 years old. He played most of the season with the Canadians in an important role. He, he He's just, his well of energy has not run dry. And I think to me, I look at this player and I think there's no way he doesn't sign again in Montreal this summer, right? Absolutely. Unless, unless they go all the way and he's like, all right, I've won my second cup and I'm good. But even then, I feel like he would want to come back and contribute in some sort of consulting or development role. I, I, I feel like he loves this team. And I just want to say, somebody pointed out, you know, they're like, Corey Perry is playing together. Like he's been, he's taped together with duct tape at this point. And I almost, I almost, I didn't want to jinx it though. I almost tweeted last night. I was like, after the series comes out, that Corey Perry injury list is going to be three pages long. Oh yeah, easily. I mean, I talked to Eric Angles around the time that Corey Perry started playing well in the regular season. And because he had wrote, written an article about how much he respected Corey Perry. And I was asking him like, what was his view of what Corey Perry was going to be during the rest of the season? And he mentioned that uh, something that went unreported last year was when he first signed with the Dallas stars, like a couple days after he signed, he like slipped off of his front step at home and broke his foot. So when he had a really rough regular season, he was playing on a broken foot for a lot of it. And for some reason, didn't disclose any of that. I guess he didn't want to let anybody know he had an excuse and he kind of got healthy towards the start of the playoffs. And, you know, he had a great regular season in Montreal. He's not the player that he used to be, but every single game, he does two or three things where you're like, that was so smart. Like he's just such a smart player with the puck. And I, I've just grown to respect him uh, to a ridiculous degree. Uh, I, I hope for the Canadians that he either stays on the team next year, or like you said, stays in a consulting role because I also, I see what you're talking about with, I think he does love playing on that team. I think he likes those young players and the role that he's been given as kind of like a mentor and, a guy to show them what it takes to win. And he's taking it to heart. And it's just incredible to watch. Especially how he's taken Cole Caulfield under his wing. Mm -hmm. So we'll wrap up on the Canadians there. And we're going to go into our interview with Jesse Granger in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online. Get the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, the NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Green Room is the first social and audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, or insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I've hosted a room on Green Room before, and it's a ton of fun. You get people from all walks of life joining in, talking. You can debate your favorite sports teams. You can figure out what's going on and all the news that you need. I know Laura has hosted with uh, Scott Matla for Locked On Canadians. They've had lots of fun. I've joined in those rooms as well. And it's just, it's kind of a nice replacement for the bar atmosphere that you miss during all this lockdown stuff during a worldwide pan pandemic. 
Go download the free Spotify Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. And be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NFL, MLB, or NHL hub groups for the latest league updates. Follow me at Andrew Berkshire to be notified when my room goes live. I know you won't, won't want to miss it. I'm planning to go live at some point during the Stanley Cup Finals. I can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on if the Montreal Canadiens make it. And I'll see you there. Green Room is changing the way that we talk sports. Welcome back to the Crosscheck NHL show. Uh, as we mentioned off the hop, uh, Laura Saba is here filling in for Mary Clark, who's on vacation. I'm Andrew Berkshire, and we're here with a special guest from The Athletic, Jesse Granger. How's it going, Jesse? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Uh, obviously, Laura and I are covering from the Montreal perspective uh, on, on this series between the Canadians and Golden Knights, but uh, we, we haven't been able to talk to anybody from the the Golden Knights perspective while this series has been going on. So as the Canadians take a three, two series lead and when this podcast drop, it will be the day of game six in Montreal on Jean Baptiste day. There's potential for some serious craziness on the streets of Montreal. Uh, where what's the, the feeling in uh, the Golden Knights locker room right now, from your perspective, I know you can not like you guys aren't able to get the interviews that you used to with the uh, COVID still going on, but what what's your perspective on how they're feeling right now? Yeah, you're you're definitely right. It's a lot tougher to read the room. That's kind of what I miss the most this season, I think. Obviously, the conversations with the players are a lot better when you're talking in person rather than on Zoom, but I think being in the locker room after games, you used to be able to just get such a good feel for for how they're feeling and rather than their prepped answers at the right. at the podium. Um but I did ask a couple of the players last night what their feelings are and and as crazy as it sounds, they're confident. Um, I don't know if I agree that they should be confident, but they are. Um, the Golden Knights, they're searching for answers right now. They were shuffling the lines like crazy last night. Uh, I asked Pete DeBoer a couple times like about getting through the neutral zone and just more specific things, and his answer basically every time was, I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to do. But yet, despite that, um, Braden McNabb had the quote, uh, they play seven games for a reason. This is a seven-game series. we got to go to Montreal and take care of business. Uh, Alex Petrangelo, similar sentiment, basically saying, now we have to get on a plane, go to Montreal and win a game. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So I don't know if I share their optimism, but the players and, and to their credit, I, I kind of went back and looked at it for my story last night. This team has had really three games this year that were absolute must win. If you lose this game, your season's just about over. Um, not elimination games like game seven against Minnesota, obviously, is a must win. But I mean, aside from that, and they've won every one of those games. Um, I remember in, Col in the Colorado series, they fell down to nothing coming back to Vegas. That game three in Vegas was an absolute must win. You cannot lose that game or the series is pretty much over. And they come out and played fantastically and won. I thought game four in Montreal, you could not fall down three to one to Montreal, especially after the way game three ended and they came out and won somehow despite getting outplayed. So this team has shown up in the biggest moments um, and they feel like they're going to again here. I think that's my uh, fear from the Montreal perspective is that this is not Toronto. This is not a team where they're faced with adversity and they don't adjust. What's happened in the past few series is that they have had that adversity especially against Colorado. I mean, they were a moment away from going three, down three, nothing, right? And every time they've shown up and then come back even better. And so obviously if they win in Montreal, it's not the end of the world in, in, for Montreal, right? But 
I'm afraid if they lose, if, if Montreal loses in Montreal and they go back to Vegas, they've allowed Vegas back into the series, which they've been very successful with keeping them out and, and not giving them too much control, not giving them the game that they want to play. I'm just worried that they come out and they win game six, everybody goes back to Vegas, and Montreal is at this point at a disadvantage. And so I'm wondering what you think about that and the adjustments that they've shown themselves able to make. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. And and that's the beauty of the NHL playoffs. I love it so much because every game just completely shifts the narrative, right? Like it's it's amazing how how quickly the perception can change. Like Vegas wins game four in Montreal and it's two two going back to Vegas. Best Vegas gets home ice back. And it, it honestly at that point it felt like and now the Golden Knights are gonna win this series. One day later, Montreal wins and suddenly Vegas, the season feels like it's over. Right. And and this in the same way, if Vegas goes up to Montreal and finds a way to win that game, suddenly it's coming back to T-Mobile Arena, craziest building in hockey right now. And everyone feels like the Golden Knights are going to win. So, yes, these things can change very quickly um, as far as adjustments. See, like that's the that's the part that I'm I'm wondering about. Um, Pete DeBoer is not an adjustments coach. He is a coach that, for better or for worse, he believes that this is the way things should be done. And if we do them that way, we will win. And he's very um, believe in the system, believe in the process. He's, he's one of those coaches. Like, I think there are different types of coaches. And he's a coach that, like, even when the Golden Knights hired him, I spoke to his former players in San Jose and New Jersey, uh, Parise, who is his captain in New Jersey. And they said, the thing that, that sticks out about Pete DeBoer is that even when a team is losing, he tells them, listen, just do what we're supposed to do. Eventually, we will win these games. And like last postseason, they did that. And they were like out shooting Dallas two to one every game. And they were losing. <laughs> and he's like, we're not changing a thing. If we keep doing this, I'm confident we'll win. And then they lose every time. <laughs> so I think, I think there are positives to that mindset because I do think that Hockey is such a weird sport in that a couple bounces here or there determine outcomes. And it's it's the sport where the better team loses more often than not, more than any other sport in the world, I think, at least the sports that I watch. And in a sport like that, I think it's important to keep a level head and realize that, OK, even though we're not getting the results, the process is more important. And I do think that that's what has led Pete DeBoer to being such a successful coach over so long. However, I do think that there are times where his system matches up against a team like Montreal has in this series, because if we're being honest, Vegas has so much more talent on the ice. Like it, it, it really isn't close, but Montreal's system is beating Vegas' system and Montreal's players are now playing with confidence. And suddenly confident players who may not be quite as talented are playing better than players who may be more talented, but don't have the confidence. And I think sometimes Pete runs into these systems that give him problems. And instead of adjusting, changing, manipulating the way that they're playing to, to fit that style better. They kind of just stick with what they do and, and it ends in a loss like it did against Dallas last year. We'll see if they can, if they can make the adjustments against Montreal. Yeah. And I like one of the things that I've noticed with the Vegas golden Knights, and I think it's become more pronounced now that they have Alex Petrangelo and it like, obviously Petrangelo has been phenomenal in this series as has Shea Theodore and the entire Vegas defense corps. I mean, to be honest, they've been excellent, but you know, up here on in Canada, the broadcast is consistently talking about how like the Vegas Golden Knights defense has been activated all series, and they're really uh, driving the offense and kind of like uh, like talking down about the Canadians' defense not being that involved. And it's true, the Canadians' defense hasn't uh, gotten in on the point production; they haven't been scoring goals either. But 
they showed that the, the Vegas Golden Knights, it was like 44 or 45% of their total shots have come from their defense and the Canadians only 10%. And they were using that as a positive for Vegas. I see that as a negative. When you have the talent up front that the Vegas Golden Knights do and half your shots are coming from your defensemen while your opponents are getting almost 90% of their shots coming from forwards. I, I think that kind of is one of the issues with Peter DeBoer's system is that I I've found during this series that the Vegas Golden Knights are a little bit too complacent in allowing the Canadians to box out in the middle of the ice. And they're like, okay, you're going to play that protect the home plate style. Fine. We have talented defensemen and we're going to get goals that way. And they have, but I feel like it hasn't been the best way to do it. They have to challenge the middle of the ice a little bit more in order to take advantage of the talent that they have, especially moving the puck. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. And it's it's exactly the way we saw it last year in the playoffs. Vancouver, halfway through the series, Travis Green decided, you know what? Like, because Vancouver was getting just trounced. Yep. And Travis Green decided we are going to create a shell around the slot and not allow the puck in there. And if you beat us from out of there, cool. And Thatcher Demko stood on his head and Vegas made him look a little better than he was maybe. And I think Dallas copied that. And with more talented players and was able to, to close the Golden Knights out. And I think, like you said, Montreal's doing a similar thing. And, and Montreal is built to do that extremely well. I think it does help that I think the systems play a part. But I also think Montreal, you, you mentioned the defensemen. And they, their defensemen aren't the spectacular offensive guys like Petrangelo and Theodore. Even Martinez is, is very talented with the puck. The, but... The Canadians defensemen are big, strong Petrie and Weber and those and Edmondson and those guys. They they are so good at clearing out the front of the net. Right. And protecting that area of the ice. I think that's one of their strengths as a team is protecting that area of the ice. Meanwhile, I think the Golden Knights biggest weakness on offense is getting to that area of the ice. So you take a team whose biggest weakness is the other team's biggest strength and suddenly they can't get around the net. Yeah, it's been a big issue. And I noticed like the forward situation for Vegas is, I mean, it's not a question mark in the grand scheme of things. Like the team is spectacularly well built. They have a lot of talent, but overall among the forwards, I think that uh, you'd probably agree that like Alex Tuck and Nick Wall are the guys that have been the most noticeable. But over the last couple of games, I've really thought after a pretty poor series that Max Pacioretty has turned it on. And I, I thought he was their best player the last two games, I would say. Uh, he he kind of created the wall goal. He scored the only goal in the last game. I actually talked to a friend of Max Patrick. I brought this up on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I, I might have talked to it to, to Steve Dangle about it on the stream for Sportsnet as well. That I talked to a friend of Max Patrick and they said he's going to suck in this series because he wants it too much. He cares too much about beating the Montreal Canadiens specifically. And for the beginning of this series, I thought you watch him play and he was getting these great opportunities and passing it and passing it and passing it or fumbling the puck. You're like, oh man, he was right. But it seems like he's conquered that mental block and finally getting one past Carey Price. Like is Pacioretty a guy that you look at to key the rest of the series and get the forward line going or specifically say Mark Stone? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you that Pacioretty's been better than his numbers suggest. Also in those first few games, like Carey Price had, I don't know, four or five spectacular saves in the, in the first handful of games. And if you go back and look, almost every one of those saves was a result of a Max Pacioretty pass. Um, the, the backdoor one-timer that Alex Tuck had that was just ridiculous footwork by Price to get over there and make the save, that was a Max Pacioretty pass. Um, he's, he's had a couple of those backdoor feeds, and, he, and the goals just aren't going in, so obviously he doesn't get an assist on the play, so it becomes forgotten after the game. It's not on the box score, so nobody remembers that pass. But I do think Pacioretty's been very good. 
I think he's going to be key. You mentioned like Vegas, the roster construction, it's built really well. But I do think that there are flaws in the roster construction. I think Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee, they put so much emphasis on 200 foot forwards and every forward on this team must be able to you're, you have to be just as good defensively as you are offensively which is not a bad strategy and it's why the golden knights are the best possession hockey team in the league they control the puck better than any team in the league maybe colorado with their skill but it's like it's right there neck and neck and i think the reason is because the golden knights players they look for the type of players that are good at everything that are they're kind of very well balanced players the problem with that is the best scorers in the world aren't well balanced because they've been the best scorer since they were eight years old. Why on earth would I back check if I can score <laughs> at every team I've ever been on? All I do is score at will. So the Golden Knights shy away from those type of players. Like, okay, like for example, Tomas Shatar, not an elite scorer by any means, but that's what he does. He's offensive. He's not all that great in his defensive zone. He came to Vegas. They wouldn't even play him. Healthy scratch. Trade him to Montreal. Just He was a throw in on that trade. Get rid of him. Nikita Gusev, another example. Super highly thought of prospect from Russia. Thought he, people thought he was going to be a superstar when he came over, but he's very offensive. He leaks out of his zone early. He's not the strongest defensively. He doesn't have that much effort in that zone. The Golden Knights wanted nothing to do with him. Absolutely nothing to do with him. So I think when you build a roster full of players who are good at everything except for scoring, and then you play hockey games where you dominate everything except for the scoring, that's kind of expected, right? You got to get a little bit more balance in the lineup, obviously. I, I wanted to ask about Mark Stone specifically, because I think he's one of the guys who not only is he great at everything, he is fantastic at scoring, but I've noticed that Mark Stone is getting Mark Stoned in this series. Uh, the amount of times he's been ha getting his pocket picked by the Canadian speedy forwards on the back check, I've been shocked at how neutralized he's been. And I'm, I wondered, when you see the way that this matchup lines up, is he just a little bit too slow in the foot speed category to, to hang with uh, the, the speedy forwards of Canadians? Is it neutralizing him that way or is he just having a bad series? Yeah. I mean, I understand why, like so that's the conclusion you go to because he's not a great skater. And at times he looks really bad because his skating isn't good. Like when Mark Stone has a bad play, he, it looks worse than a lot of other players because his skating is just not good. And it looks awkward. It looks kind of clunky. He has a really short, stride that just doesn't look great however in the last series he completely shut down nathan mckinnon yeah <laughs> and nathan mckinnon is way faster than anyone on montreal so like i have a hard time saying it's the speed aspect of it when he just played against rantanen and landeskog and mckinnon for an entire series and completely dominated them so i don't think it's the speed i think it's philip Deneau is a great defensive forward just like mark stone he's obviously not the offensive player that mark stone is but i think he's He's frustrated Stone. And the thing about like that matchup, right? I think Stone and Deneau have kind of canceled each other out. The difference is if Deneau doesn't score or do anything offensively, doesn't bother him. That's not his role. He knows Suzuki, Caulfield, Toffoli, those guys, even the fourth line, Perry and Stahl, those guys are going to get the points for us. I don't need to do that. My only mission in this game is to not let Mark Stone do anything, right? Stone does it to Deneau, doesn't frustrate him at all. Deneau's playing his game. He's, he's confident. He's playing well. Meanwhile, even though he's shutting Deneau down, Stone not scoring his goals is frustrating for him. It's, it's, and, and the team is counting on those goals from him, right? So I think there's more pressure on Mark Stone's line in that matchup than there is on the, the Montreal line, which is 
only tasked at playing defense and shutting it down. Like Deneau's got like 85% defensive zone starts. He's only playing in the defensive zone and that's his role. And I think when you aren't counted on to score, when, when every game after every game, you don't have a hundred people reporting still has zero points in the series. Like I think that pressure has built up on Mark Stone. So I've, I don't think it's the speed. I think it's, I think it's the matchup. I think Deneau has done a phenomenal job on him. I think it's, frustration and like you said a bad series I think that's I think the frustration has built and built and built and it's and he's playing worse because of it yeah I, I forget who said it but somebody it might have been on the broadcast up here and it might have been on Twitter they were saying that Phil Deneau is the most confident player they've ever seen with zero goals right because it doesn't matter like in yeah. his mind it, it, he doesn't need that yeah, it's crazy. It's it's weird because in the regular season, he had this struggle to score too, but because it wasn't this extreme matchup game, the frustration was there, right? And it's a contract year for him as well. But uh, we're going to talk more about Phil Deneau and the defensive job that the Canadians have done in the Golden Knights on the other side of the break. And also, we're going to ask Jesse, which goaltender starts game six for the Golden Knights? But first, a little word from our sponsor. With the world opening back up a little bit, we're going to do do a lot of road trips. Uh, and if you want to do road trips, you better get your car serviced. Make sure everything's working, fit as a fiddle. And if you want to make sure you've got all the parts that you need, you want to check out rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Why deal with a storefront that only has a couple of different options when you can go to rockauto.com and price shop, ma- make sure that you save the most that you possibly can get the brands that you actually want to deal with and you can choose what you want. It'll be delivered right to your door. You get the same prices as professional mechanics. Even if you're just a do it yourselfer. why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on on their how did you hear about us section so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts that your car will ever need rockauto.com all right so i think the biggest question heading into game six is kind of created by peter DeBoer himself and robin leonard played spectacularly well in game four i think he in many ways stole that game for vegas just like uh, carrie price stole game uh, game three it was it was kind of funny that the Canadians dominated or dominated game four and lost, and the Golden Knights dominated game three and lost. Uh, but going back to Flurry, I I just I don't see a situation here where Pete DeBoer can make an easy decision. Like there is no easy decision, right? Like who starts? Who gets that? Who gets that net in game six? Yeah, it, it is. It's an impossible decision, and it's the second postseason in a row where he's in this position. And I do not envy Pete DeBoer's. <laughs> Have, being in this spot at all. Um, I think it's going to be Robin Leonard would be my guess. Um, but having said that, it wouldn't surprise me if it's Marc-Andre Fleury and there are arguments for both guys. Um, I think the biggest argument being if you start Robin Leonard in game six and he loses, you just lost. At your, your season just ended with your most valuable player of the entire season on the bench, which is Marc-Andre Fleury. He carried this team. He was the best goalie in the regular season, him or Andre Vasilevsky. You can argue one or the other. He's been one of the best goalies in these playoffs. He had one mistake in Montreal that was a horrible, horrible mistake. But aside from that, he's been excellent in this series. I thought he was great last night. The three goals, I didn't see a way. Like One is a rebound on a, a breakaway, which 
if the goalie makes the initial stop on the breakaway, I'm not blaming the the, the rebound on yeah, him. Your, your defenseman right. better clean that up. That's always right. been my opinion, too. Right. And then the other two were a shot right in the slot that uh, was perfectly placed into the top corner. And then a one-timer from Caulfield that Flurry obviously had no chance to get over. And Flurry had a couple spectacular saves. Um, one in the third period on the back door that was just ridiculous. Um, I think he's been great. So if they want to stick with Flurry, that's... Like I said, I think there's plenty of argument for that. Um, my gut tells me they're going to switch to Leonard just because he won his last game and Fleury lost his last game. I do want to ask, because a decision was made about goaltending that I'm not so sure about. So in game four, they put in Robin Leonard, and personally I thought that might have been a little bit too quick of a decision Marc-Andre Fleury made that gaffe in game three, but he's been having such a phenomenal season. And and personally, I view Marc-Andre Fleury not as a mentally weak person or anything like that, but his mistakes tend to stick around for a few games. And so I thought that putting Leonard in was sort of not not especially good for Marc-Andre Fleury's confidence. But then, you know, Leonard wins, earns the job, but then doesn't get played in game five. And I'm just curious as to what that decision-making process is like, because to be honest, I would not have been so quick to do that because, you know, in the short term, it worked. Robin Leonard won the game or game four at least. Um, But then in the long term, supposing Vegas does move on, you've given Fleury that idea uh, where you're not that confident in him. And then you've given Leonard the idea that even if he plays well, he doesn't deserve the start. So I'm wondering if you see it that way, because to me, going forward and potentially against Tampa, you're, you are you have two goalies that don't have the level of confidence that you would want. And, and as, it's exactly as you said, like when you're the lesser talented team going into a series, you need that confidence as a boost. So I'm, I'm just wondering what you think about that. I may be way off base here. Yeah, I, I completely uh, see what you're saying. I, I do think that Flurry has changed um, because you're right. He, he did have things that bothered him. Like the, everyone goes back to the world junior incident. Um, and he mentioned like, I didn't want to play the puck for years after that because of how bad it was. Um, and, and like, I've talked to Flurry about, like, he had a mistake in the Colorado series where he tried to catch the puck across his body on Brandon Sod. I don't know if you guys were watching that game, but it was a pretty bad goal. And I talked to him after the game, and he basically said, I think 10 years ago, that allowing a goal like that would have absolutely stuck with me and could have affected me moving forward after that. But I've just played so many games and I've been through so many situations that at this point I'm able to shrug that off a lot easier. And he did in that game and they won in overtime. Um, I think flurry while, while yes, but like switching to Robin Leonard could have hurt his confidence. I don't think it did at all. Um, and we saw that last night. I like, again, I, I don't think that game was, I thought Mark Andre flurry was more than good enough to win that game. Um, his offense just did absolutely nothing for 60 minutes. I think part of the part of the reason Pete DeBoer goes to to Robin Leonard and you guys obviously aren't following Vegas all year the way I am. So like it's been kind of a narrative. So the Golden Knights and, and you guys know this with Montreal who spent the they're the only team that spent more money on the goalies than the Golden Knights. But the Golden Knights spent a lot of money on goalies this year. And 
it was with the the like notion that we're going to use both of these guys. And like Pete DeBoer said going into the playoffs, like we're going to use our depth. We're going to use our depth at forward. And they have. They've rotated their guys. Even when guys aren't hurt, they've been rotating the lineup on defense. They've been rotating their seven defensemen. And the goalies, they haven't been rotating them, but they have been going to Leonard in spots. And I think Pete DeBoer trusts Robin Leonard a lot. That's kind of his guy. Like if like Pete DeBoer prefers Robin Leonard. If everything was 50-50 and, and, and it was – complete coin toss and it was up to him Robin Leonard plays that's that's his guy he started him in the playoffs last year despite Flurry being the guy all year and they were pretty close he started Robin Leonard to begin this season he was the starting goalie on opening day um, until Flurry took the job obviously I think he Robin Leonard is his guy he trusts him and and he obviously trusts Mark Andre Flurry too but I think in a spot like that he just he wanted to go to his guy and give him a chance and then he, like I said, he went right back to Mark Andre Fleury. So it's not like he he benched Fleury. I think if Robin Leonard had started the last two games and now you were going back to Fleury, I think that would be a little more harmful for like confidence wise than just the one game because DeBoer was able to explain that. I don't know if I exactly buy his explanation, but he was able to explain it saying it was a rest for Fleury. He was tied with Andre Vasilevsky for the most starts in the playoffs, despite being 10 years older. We, we, he, he's been not just physically, but emotionally worn down because we've been through some emotional playoff series, some really tough series. Like this has been a tough road for the golden Knights in these playoffs. Nothing has come easy. Um, so I, I think he was able to kind of explain it that way. And then he gave the net right back to flurry. So I, I, I didn't see any lack of confidence in flurry, but, and, and I'm talking, watching him in practice in between those games. Um, he was his same usual jokey self pr- playing pranks on everybody. That's he, he, he put Logan Thompson, the third goalie, he put, they put all of his equipment out on the, out on the ice, poor guy, um, <laughs> during practice the other day, but yeah, he, he was his normal self. I don't think, I don't think the confidence was zapped as much as you would think. And, and like, I, like, I'm not saying you're wrong for thinking that I completely understand the perspective. I just think the way these goalies have been rotated all year, they're kind of used to it at this point. Uh, I was going to say, I think that that explanation of giving flurry a rest holds a lot more water considering they already did that for one game earlier in the playoffs. Right. And I think faced a fair amount of legitimate criticism for the way that that went against Colorado. Like you're going to spot the Colorado avalanche, a one game series lead. Yeah. You'll, we'll just win four straight against them. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> who would have ever called that, but who would have called Montreal pushing Vegas to the limit as well? You know, like playoffs are such a different beast. And like you said, flurry is mentally stronger than he was earlier in his career. I think one of the things that, uh, worries me about him in terms of like if I was cheering for the guy was like after that misplay of the puck behind the net you see his confidence that like the next play he was out there playing the puck with one hand on his stick like smacking it around you're like okay you're too confident you're too confident stop right. doing that you know, like, in last night's game he went behind the net and he's like checking Cole Caulfield I'm like yeah. get back in the net like <laughs> what are you doing yeah it's almost too much confidence I agree he he you could see last night the way he was playing the puck like there's no fear there is no, no. Uh, like doubt in his mind at all <laughs> Even I said, get back in your net, you idiot, at one point. And I'm cheering for Montreal. But it's curious what you were talking about. And I hope you can uh, indulge me as I bring the conversation back to this, uh, the idea of that 200-foot player and how you were saying how Vegas seems to have this philosophy where they don't have any use for you if you're not one of those types of players. Whereas on Locked On Canadians, I've argued so many times since the beginning that if you're not a two-way player in this league, unless you're kind of like a a McDavid or something, 
then teams shouldn't really have any use for you. Everybody should be a two-way player unless you're really, really an offensive specialist. And with Montreal, there aren't really any offensive specialists. And if you notice throughout the regular season and even uh, through most of the playoffs, they will uh, allow the opponents a lot of time in their own zone. And there are very few players other than Philippe Dano who's completely uh, sacrificed his offensive game but I, there, there aren't very many players that I would consider two-way players or 200-foot players other than guys like Philippe Dano. But if you notice in the playoffs, everybody has changed the way that they play and everybody's kind of gotten themselves a role and they stick to it very successfully. And this is, you know, in Montreal. And so what I'm watching play out before my eyes is me being proven wrong, where the idea of that new evolved NHL with the 200-foot players and all of that isn't really winning out it's the it's it's the literal commitment to specific roles and so you were talking about how uh vegas has that idea that 200 foot players are all where it's at and uh i'm wondering how you see it from your point of view is it the idea that maybe not everybody is uh having a role that they have to be pigeonholed into and they're not sticking to it and maybe that's the problem uh, and montreal is doing that successfully and maybe that's What's causing it? I'm I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. Um, maybe I. To be honest, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I've kind of waffled back and forth on this over the last like couple years covering this team because it seems like they have all the pieces that they need, right? Like, I think with some teams, you lose in the playoffs, and it's very obvious when 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 the loss happens and the season's over. It's very obvious. Well, this team didn't have this. This is the ingredient they're missing. Whereas the Golden Knights, it seems like they have all the ingredients. So it's a little more difficult to figure out why they aren't winning championships that they think they should be and, and figure out why they aren't getting to where uh, the ultimate goal is, which is the Stanley Cup. I mean, they've been to three conference finals in, in four years. So they've obviously had a lot of success. And these, this team is obviously built really well, but it just seems like the I think they do have roles on this team. I think that they're just not performing in those roles in this series. Like they did against Colorado. They performed in those roles incredibly well. Mark Stone, Chandler Stevenson, and, and Max Pacioretty didn't really score all that much in that series, so, kind of like this series. But in that series, it wasn't that big of a deal because they were shutting down Nathan McKinnon and Colorado, you shut down that top line, you cut the head off the snake, the rest of the body dies. Like Colorado, once you shut down that top line, it just killed every type of offense they had. And then what that when those guys played that role, it allowed the second line, the the misfit line, Marcia So Carlson and Smith, to score all the goals. They got the good offensive matchups. They scored all the goals. So I do think this team has similar roles, kind of like to the way you just explained Montreal. They're just simply, I don't think the problem is that they don't have the right role. I think the problem is that they're not executing their roles in this series. Yeah. Uh, as we speak, not to go totally off the rails here, but Robin Leonard just started a, a Twitter AMA from the plane and he was asked what his favorite food is. And he said poutine, which is kind of funny. So there's another guy who's not lacking in confidence to be on Twitter doing an AMA the day before a game. But <laughs> he loves to. He does. He does. He loves social media. But before we let you go, Jesse, I just have uh, one last question for you. And it's a very serious question. How often when people interview you for the first time, do they ask about Hermione? <laughs> Almost never. That, really? Yeah, I was expecting like a Vegas cliche. I thought you were going to ask me like, do I live in a casino or <laughs> something like that? <laughs> I was not expecting Harry Potter. No, it's, uh, it's yeah, I, I, I don't get that very often. Um, but I mean, I have, usually not in interviews, but like I, I get it in my personal life sometimes. <laughs> Nobody's willing to stoop quite that low, <laughs> but I am. 
<laughs> Thanks so much for doing this, Jesse. Plug some stuff. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, we got a lot of good stuff going on at The Athletic. I have been lucky to work with our uh, Montreal colleagues up there. We have a bunch of guys that are doing some really great work up there uh, with Arpin Bastu and uh, Marc-Antoine Godin, Julie McKenzie. All those guys are great. Um, lots of good stuff on The Athletic. You guys can sign up there. I'm sure we have a deal going on. I haven't looked, but there's some kind of deal. If you There's go to always the- a deal. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for coming on, Jesse. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Why would you be so interested in the best protein bar? Well, Built Bar has nine delicious flavors that cover all ranges of tastes. When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their favorites. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you're missing out. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. There's something for everyone. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can even, you know, get a little bit adventurous and get a mix box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. Not only are Built Bars great tasting and easy to chew, covered in chocolate, but they're healthy too. The, each flavor has between 17 and 18 grams of protein, between 130 and 180 calories, four or five grams of sugar, and four or five grams of net carbs. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. Order today, get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you get 15% off your first offer. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, Laura, it's time for our pop culture roulette segment. I know that you had something that you wanted to talk about with with this. I know I I just watched Loki right before we recorded this. I know you haven't yet. And last time (laughs) I watched it right before as well. And Mary hadn't watched it either. So I'm aching. I got to talk about it with someone, but I'll, I'll hold it in. Thank you. Because as you know, my team that I cover five days a week is in the third round of the playoffs, <laughs> one win away from the Stanley Cup. I can't stop saying that. Uh, and <laughs> oh, I wonder it's, why. It's Are a wild ride. It? <laughs> it, it's, we're incredulous. Like every time we say it on the podcast, we laugh because we can't believe this is happening. Anyway, uh, I haven't had a lot of time to watch stuff. So I've been sticking to mini series as much as I possibly can. And there's a couple that, uh, that I would highly recommend. The first one is Mayor of Easttown, which, uh, got a lot of buzz, a lot of people talking about it. It is an HBO miniseries starring Kate Winslet. And, um, it, a lot of talk has been about her adoption of the Philly culture, right? Trying her best with her, with the accent and getting really into Wawa and all of that. It is a dark show though, but it is very beautifully done. It is, it is, uh, I want to say seven episodes total. Is really, really worth the time. Uh, it is, it's a bit heavy. So if you're, if you're not looking for that, then I have another recommendation. It is an HBO Max show, but in Canada, it's on, on Amazon Prime. So if you're looking for a dark comedy that is very low commitment, again, it's got like an odd number of episodes. It's either seven or nine. And they're very short episodes, unlike Mirror of Easttown, which are full length, uh, drama episodes. It's a comedy called Made for Love, starring uh, Christina Milioti, and uh, who you would know as the mother in How I Met Your Mother, uh, and uh, also in a really good movie that she was in with, um, oh no, Andy Samberg, <laughs> and it was, uh, it, it's also, that movie was also on Amazon Prime. Anyway, it's a dark comedy. Uh, it is about love in some ways. It's about uh, interconnectedness. It's about technology. It's got a lot of themes, and uh, I think I just heard that it got picked up for a second season and I'm so, so happy about that. It's very low commitment, high enjoyment. So I recommend both of those things. 
Awesome. And I know you also wanted to recommend Ted Lasso, which I could not agree <laughs> with more wholeheartedly. I just finally got Kish to try Ted Lasso and she's almost through it in two days. <laughs> well, it's so good. So my sister was the first person who was like, you need to watch the show. And then obviously everybody on the internet said, you need to watch the show. And I was like, I'm savoring it. We're living through some dark times. And at some point I'm going to hit a low and I'm going to need that. I'm going to need that show. And surely enough, I had some home construction, destruction stuff that we're not going to get into uh, that I've had to deal with. And that was extremely stressful. So on that day, I thought this is finally the day to start Ted Lasso. I'm very glad I waited because it was the perfect occasion. But the sad thing is now, once you've watched Ted Lasso, what else is going to come that close to a feel-good show? Yeah, I, I don't know if I've felt as, I don't know, what's like the personal feeling of being endeared to? Is that is that a word to say you were endeared because yeah. Ted Lasso is so endearing? Like, I don't know if I felt that for any show that I can remember watching. I Every character in that show, they kind of start out very one-dimensional and every episode builds. They just The characterization is so, so good. Like, Obviously, everybody loves the title character of, of Ted Lasso, but I, I love Keeley. You end up loving even like Jamie Tart, I think, is going to get to like by the end of the next yeah. season. I think you're, everyone's <laughs> going to love Jamie Tart. You love uh, Roy Kent. You know, like it's just it's perfect. And I think the, they combine like what we all kind of know about locker room dynamics and like the ego of superstar players and like little bits of psychology and coaching. And it's just so well crafted and it's ridiculous. The premise of this show is based off of a commercial. <laughs> and that's the genius of it. It's so ridiculous and out there, but at the same time it works. You know, it, it's, it's something that every, almost every character there's, there's literally one character in the entire show that you're not rooting for. And it's not the person that you think is the villain at the beginning, right? Yeah. Even that villain you end up rooting for fairly, fairly quickly in. And so I, I, it's very rare to find that where even the, the characters you hate, you end up liking. There's just one irredeemable person at this point. Yes. And, <laughs> and no, not really a spoiler, but it's like the ex-husband. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it's yeah. also like I remember watching it and like when they showed the ex-husband and it's played by Anthony Stewart Head, who anybody who watched Buffy growing up, which like is our generation, <laughs> that's Rupert Giles, who is just like the kindest, gentlest man mentor and like oh he's an ass like just it's upsetting isn't it, it? it's, it's jarring but it's great <laughs> and he does it so well it works. it works yeah it works great and and yeah and and so you know in times like this when you when you're thinking about like you need something where spirit triumphs that's exactly what what it is it's 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 the spirit triumphing whether they have ups or downs or things don't go their way or whatever you end up just feeling like everything's going to be okay. A hundred percent. And I think everyone who's having a tough time right now, as we're, I think I talked about this with Steve Dangle a few weeks ago. We were, cause he, I'd listened to his podcast and he sounded like really down. It was before the playoffs. So it wasn't just hockey down. And he was, he was talking about like how rough it's been like mentally for him at the end here. And I really emphasize with that or like empathize with that because I was feeling the exact same way. And I think now that the vaccine rollout has really gotten going in Canada and like the second dose is coming up quick for most people, there's that light at the end of the tunnel, but because you're not at it yet, it just feels like every day is extra long. You know, it just, 
everything is stretched out so that you're, you're not quite getting to the end of this pandemic, but the light is there and Ted Lasso will help yes. you get there. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's exactly it is that, you know, that we're in the home stretch. We just need to hold on a little bit longer. And Ted Lasso is kind of the epitome of just holding on. Absolutely. So Laura, that's all we have for you guys today. We're going to be back next week. It'll be Mary again, but Laura, thank you so much for doing this with me on this week that Mary couldn't come. I am overjoyed to be able to have you on, as I said last episode, and I wish you nothing but the best for Lockdown Canadians and all other future endeavors. Thank you. And I do apologize to the listener for my sound issues. I am aware that there's some throughout this show, and I hope you were able to enjoy it despite my sound issues. And thank you so much, Andrew, for for picking me to to sit in for, for Mary. Uh, and welcome back, Mary, from your vacation. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll try to edit out the sound <laughs> stuff in post, but we'll see what we can do. Hopefully people will bear with us because I think the interview with Jesse is very worth it. And I can't wait to watch some more hockey. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Before we let you go, we got to tell you about Locked On Today. Locked On Today is the Locked On podcast where you can get all the important sports news of the day in a 20-minute segment. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.